Father, we just thank you that uh, I'm reminded every morning by your grace that you breathe air into our lungs. You wake us up in the morning, and we go about our business, and you mark our steps. You are a holy, holy, holy God, and we are but broken people. Thank God, thank you that we have your son, Jesus, that we can now have a relationship with you and see the truths that you unveil to us in the word, your very word, which is your son, Jesus. I pray that the words, which are living words, Father, would light us up, would light us up for your glory, would light us up for your holiness, would light us up for your righteousness, would light us up for your direction, would light us up for the very salvation that you've so freely given through the work of your son, Jesus. So may we all, both those online and those here physically, may our hearts just melt as we hear the word, and may we see ourselves, may we clearly see ourselves, Father, uh, that we would not play with it, but we would repent, and we would thank you, pulling closer to you, being more transformed in your son's likeness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, again, good morning and welcome. So we are continuing our preaching series uh, through the book of 1 Corinthians with the overarching theme, the gospel-believing church. And as we spoke about, Paul was addressing you know, a series of issues in the Corinthian church from, and some of this will be a recap of what we even said last week, from sexual immorality, marriage, divorce, singleness, to even eating foods offered to idols. And as we discussed last week in 1 Corinthians 9, 1 through 18, Paul uses himself as an illustration of what he was telling them to do in 1 Corinthians 8. Paul was used to preach the gospel in Corinth. The Lord opened up some of their hearts to receive what was being preached. They repented, put their faith in Jesus, and from there that launched the Corinthian church. And some of the Corinthians had come to a mature understanding in their belief that the idols they once served were worthless and were not real. Therefore, the food sold out of those temples, because as I mentioned before, those temples became like butcher shops. They had all this food dedicated for idols, and what was left over was sold. And so that food, then it was irrelevant. They could eat it. It wasn't about a superstition. They weren't worried that something was going to happen to them, that a false god was going to be upset or angry with them. It was irrelevant. But there were other brothers in the Corinthian church that had not matured in that area and had not come to that understanding yet. And Paul was saying to the mature believer, what you have in knowledge and freedom is to be put aside for the weaker brother to help build them up. Don't just go and eat in the temples while your brother next to you struggles. Be willing to put aside that freedom to best help your brother. And Paul emphasizes that the very thing he is asking of them in 1 Corinthians 8, he's also doing for them. For the sake of the gospel, if you remember last week, we talked about for the sake of the gospel. And Paul was essentially saying for the sake of the gospel, he will endure anything as to not be an obstacle to the gospel, which then in turn leads to opportunities to preach the gospel out of necessity. Because as he was growing and maturing in his Christ walk, he, it wasn't just a command anymore. He saw the urgency and the necessity of it. And as an extension to that, he is further illustrating in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 27. This is what his ministry has looked like to be fruitful in preaching the gospel out of necessity, or this is what it looks like to fruitfully witness in all types of scenarios 
of different cultures, people groups, beliefs, and situations. I call this the fruitful witness. A fruitful witness is one who lives out to the command of going and making disciples. As Jesus said before he left, all authority in heaven has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey my commands. As we grow, we do more of what Jesus asks us to do. Because one common theme is it is not about us. It is only about God. So repeat after me, the fruitful witness. Repeat after me one more time. The fruitful witness must become all things to all people. Now let's see what Brother Paul is going to unfold in his ministry life. Verse 19, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. We who have repented of our sins and put our faith in Jesus are all free to live out our life in obedience to Jesus. You always hear the word, we're free, we're free, we're free. And I remember when I first became a Christian, I thought, that's kind of confusing. Because if you're free, were you free to do anything? Or weren't you free before to do anything? <laughs> no. Before you were glorifying yourself in all things, and so you were never free. Now, you will glorify God in all things, which is what our original creation point was intended to be. As he says, I created man and female in my image to glorify me, to glorify him. That is what our life walk, if we claim Jesus, is all about, glorifying him, not ourselves. So, and with Jesus, we must still be flexible, though, according to his will, and not to take the knowledge he gives us and turn it into a false idol. One of the things that can happen is that, I've seen this sometimes even in new believers. I remember one time I was at work, and a, a boss of mine had a son who just became a believer. And I don't think this boss was actually a believer. He was just a person who was in church leadership and so on. But a believer tends to continually and increasingly talk about the things of God. And so we have to go by what we see. So I really didn't see that. I saw a nice guy. I didn't see a, a Christ-filled individuals. But his son had really truly put his faith in Jesus. And one of the things that happened to him is that he was just like, and I've seen this happen to new believers. I don't want to work. That's evil. I don't want to do anything but be in the church. So he just dumped everything. And then months later, my boss was like, well, yeah, that whole dump and everything, when he started to need money and needed to borrow money, he realized he needed to work. So then he had to reevaluate that. But that is that newness, and you're just trying to figure things out. And then in that, and we do that even as mature Christians, we take the things of God, and then we start to box it, and it becomes flesh-oriented so then we can control and make Jesus the way we want. And what Paul is talking about, we must be obedient to his will after we've, even after we've repented and put our faith in him. We don't stop there. We keep saying, Lord, your will, not my will, be done. And we have to be flexible in that. So because Paul was being obedient in Christ in the following his will, he understood that Christ wanted him to put aside his right to be paid as an apostle in ministry. Because the Corinthian church, as we talked about last week, the Corinthian church was in a culture where lecturers were getting paid all the time. That was just a normal thing. It's what one commentator called relational debt. I pay the lecturer, or I pay the leader, I put him up in my home or a house, and he's kind of indebted to me instead of free to do what he needs to do. And so because this was already happening, and because Paul was actually listening to the will of his father, he saw that they were so in the culture about people and lecturers getting paid that he didn't want to mix that in. Even though he gives an account in 1 through 18, he definitely has a right to be paid. It's a command from God. But God has told him in discernment, even put that aside. 
because we don't want that to be a snare in you being a fruitful witness of the gospel. So Paul is called to be a slave to Christ only. And so when you're willing to put everything aside for Christ and just be a slave to him, you know what that does? That frees you up so you're not a slave to anyone else. If you're just a slave to Christ, then there's no obstacles because you're now flexible according to his will. You're not taking a thing of God and now boxing it in and saying, "Uh," you're saying, your will be done, Father. Oh, you want me to put aside this freedom? Okay, I will do so. And Christ wants us to be, and he called Paul to be, a slave to all people. We go from being a slave glorifying ourselves to now after repenting of our sins and putting our faith in Jesus, we're now slave to Christ, which in turn, he says, okay, now go and serve the people so then you can be a fruitful witness and win more souls for Christ. And now Paul is going to further elaborate on this. So the fruitful witness must become all things to all people. Let's read verse 20. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. There were two types of people groups in in Corinth. Those that were under the law, Jews, and those that were outside the law, Gentiles, mostly at that time, Greeks. So Paul makes an effort, now pay attention to this, he makes an effort to understand and be submersed in the culture so he cannot look outside in but look inside out. That requires listening, interacting, to find out how they view things, how they go about their daily living, how they view God. So then you can be flexible to the will of God to steward your freedoms to best be a fruitful witness to deliver the gospel. If anyone is aware of a missionary, anyone in here knows a person that's in the mission field? I mean overseas somewhere or even local. So when you've talked to them or heard about their journey, they just hop in a plane and take off and go over there and say, we're here. Let's go after it. No, they went after much training, learning about the culture, even learning the language, if there was a language difference. And then as they went there, they started to submerge themselves into that culture, building friendships and not looking outside in saying, I'm going to bring all my Americanized ways and uh, you take it. No, what are your ways? And let me assimilate in that way. Now, let's be careful of that. When we talk about that, being all things to all people, that doesn't mean also just sinning. I'm going to be all things to all people and including I'll sin when they're sinning because that's going to, no. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. Another example, let's look at Philippians 3.5. This tells us, it shows us how Paul is being all in to do according to the culture. And actually, for him, he didn't really have to do anything. He already was. It basically just tells us who Paul was. Paul circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. In other words, he already had a deep understanding of those under the law because he was a Jew. So when Paul says to the Jews he became a Jew under the law, he is basically saying he kept their feasts, he ate their foods, and was Paul the Jew. But when his brothers were doing something that was a sin against God, then he was going to stop short right there and say, not doing it. And if that was a disruption to him witnessing, that in itself was witnessing because he was honoring his God first. Let's look at Acts 16, 1 through 4. <laughs> this, this should make every man cringe. <laughs> it made me cringe every time I read. So this shows the depths of what they were willing to do to be all things to all people. Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where he found a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman and Greek father. The brothers in Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him on his ministry. 
So he took him and circumcised him on account of the Jews in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So as a side note, if you even in your study Bible, if you look that up, according to Jewish law, the child of a Gentile father and Jewish mother was considered Jewish. So as Paul did his ministry in the synagogues, because remember, what he did when he went to town, one of the first places he went was the synagogues to give account and utilize what he knew about the culture, having been a Jew, to deliver the gospel, to be a fruitful witness. Then he went to the Gentiles. So knowing he was going in the synagogues, he can't bring in a guy who's uncircumcised because that would be defiling the synagogue. At least that's the way they would view it. And then that would be an impediment. That would be something that will disrupt his ability to be a fruitful witness. It even says that, the study Bible says, he didn't want to fight on non-essentials. Listen, he knew that circumcision did not save anyone, but God had them circumcised for the purpose of setting them aside because they were a wicked people. So there were physical things, the civil and ceremonial laws, all those things trained them up to point them to Jesus to prepare them to witness to the world. So circumcision was just one of those things. That in itself did not save. So therefore, he's like, it's non-essential. We know it doesn't save us. We're not honoring any false gods. So when we go amongst the Jews, we'll be like them to the extent that we will even be circumcised. Listen, when I think about that, imagine you're with Paul. Paul's like, man, I really love you, brother, and really love what God's doing in you. And I want you to come on a ministry journey with me. Oh, okay, that's great. I'll do that. That's great. So grab your stuff. We'll get you circumcised. And we'll get going. Wait, 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 wait. Hold up. I got the other part, but you said something about circumcision. Yeah, we're going to get you circumcised. I don't know any adult male that doesn't cringe slightly on that. And it doesn't even indicate whether Paul, it sounds like Paul did it himself, but either way, it just seems that is pretty deep. That tells you he was all in. Timothy was willing to do that, to serve the people group in that area. So they wouldn't, it would not be an impediment. I mean, I don't know. That is a good illustration of being all in, that you would actually get circumcised. You see, I'm hanging out on that track. <laughs> because it still makes me cringe. <laughs> Let's read verse 21. To outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. In the scenario of those outside the law, Gentiles were those outside the law, as I said before, mostly Greek in that area. Paul also now puts on his Gentile hat. And now he's adapting to the cultural norms and behaviors. Obviously, he stops short of any lawlessness, committing sins like them, because the Gentiles were fornicators and they were idolatrous. But for the things that were non-essentials, the cultural norms and some of the customs, it was no big deal, and it wasn't offense or sin against God, he'll be all in on that. And he can look from the inside out instead of the outside in. How do they view God? How do they view gods? How do they do life? Matter of fact, Acts 17, 22-25 goes on to illustrate this approach. So Paul, standing in the midst of Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive in every way that you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. You see how he does that? Paul first establishes rapport, appeals to their sense of worship. They have a lot of gods there. Well, obviously, they're worshipers. Yes, they're worshippers of false gods, but they're still worshipers. He appeals to that. Then he notices this is just by the will of the Spirit, the unknown God. Then he springboards off of that to tell them truth about the God who does not exist in a temple by human hands. 
Did he come to them and speak down on them and say, what are you guys doing? You got all these false gods here. Get up and worship Jesus. No. He looked for the opportunity to understand them more in-depthly so then he could be a fruitful witness of the gospel. Let's go on to verse 22. To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Now this kind of circles right back around to what Brother Anwar preached about, about 1 Corinthians 8. He had said to them, listen, as I mentioned before earlier, some of you are more mature in understanding that these foods to idols, it's no big deal. But put aside those freedoms and that understanding so you can help build up a brother, not beat down a brother. And what he says in 11 through 13, let's look at that. 1 Corinthians 8, 11 through 13. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is now destroyed, the brother from whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. He's letting you know it gets pretty serious. If you're not willing to be flexible according to God's will, and now you're inserting your will in the freedoms God has given you, you're sinning. You're sinning against God and you're sinning against your brother. You're supposed to be looking for opportunities to be a fruitful witness to build up your brother so they can come to that understanding that you have, not tear them down and chase them away. We must give the need of the immature Christian higher priority than our needs, is what he's saying. We must give the needs of the immature Christian higher priority than your needs. You know what, when we think about it, all of us are stronger in certain areas, and we're weak in certain areas, right? So that means that we all will be doing that for each other. Let's look at an example. What about drinking? There's two different scenarios. One is you have a brother who struggles with alcoholism. He's excessive. And every time you guys get together, you pull out the wine and just drink it up. And he's just sitting back looking at you with a thirst like, man, he's just tempting me. What's going on? Is that looking after your brother? Another scenario. So there is a lot, there is such thing as legalism, Pharisaic legalism that still exists to this day, where there are brothers and sisters in the face that were raised up to think that drinking is actually a sin. But nowhere in Scripture does it say that, because the drinking itself is not a sin. Alcohol itself is not a sin. It is your action of going beyond moderations and being excessive. It all goes back to your own internal sin and how you use drinking or anything else the Lord has given you. Well, for the sake of that brother, would you just drink in front of them anyway and shove it down their throat? Or would you have concern for them to be built up to understand the truth of that so you'd put aside your drinking in front of them so then you can have a conversation about what the gospel really says about it. One is, it's focused on you, and you're just angry at them because they're more legalistic, and maybe you didn't grow up that way. The other is, because God has laid upon your heart your own sins, and how he's cleansed you through Jesus, you now have that same concern for another brother and, and being used as a fruitful witness to build them up. Let me ask you, what weaker brother or sister has the Lord put in your life in which he's calling you to put aside your rights in order to be a fruitful witness to build them up in Christ. Let me repeat again. What weaker a brother or sister has the Lord put in your life in which he is calling you to put aside your rights in order to be a fruitful witness to build them up in Christ? Everyone has someone. I think about family. Who gets under your skin quicker? Family. You get together on holidays, I always hear from people, oh, it was nice, and then it wasn't. <laughs> are we willing to put aside whatever the issues are with family so then we can deliver truth, gospel for the first time, or build them up to a more mature version of themselves, of Christ? What about coworkers? What about neighbors? 
there are so many scenarios we come across where people just flat out, they get on your nerves in some cases. And it might be just because they're weaker in that area and you just need to bear with that for the purpose of building them up. Let's move on. Verse 23. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. So what is the blessing that Paul is talking about here in verse 23? He talks about, I want to share the blessings with them. There's a mutual blessing here. Well, if we look up what blessing is defined as, it's defined as a favor or gift given by God. Basically like grace, something we did not deserve. So when you think about it, we're sharing in a mutual, a mutual favor from God. The one who's doing the witnessing is learning to be more obedient unto God and therefore being built up in his Christ or her Christ-likeness, which in itself is a favor from God that you didn't deserve in the first place. The one who's receiving, whether they're an immature in that area Christian or someone that's hearing the gospel for the first time, God is giving them truth and opening them up to the things of him. So they can either accept for the first time, repent, and put their faith in his son Jesus, or be more built up in his son's likeness. Either way, there's mutual favoritism going on by God in here, that which we did not deserve. So both sides share and rejoice in the favor of being set aside for the holy work of God. But then he goes on to say, but the fruitful witness must discipline their body <clears throat> as to not be disqualified. So repeat after me. The fruitful witness must discipline their body as to not be disqualified. So in the process of being a fruitful witness, we can also get caught up in the snare of what that we're trying to help bring our brother from. And the Lord even warns us of that in Scripture. Be careful that you're not caught up in the same snare that you're trying to bring your brother out of. Paul has been saying that not his will, but God's will be done to be a fruitful witness in winning people for Christ. Let's read 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. The fruitful witness must discipline their body as to not be disqualified because we are vulnerable as well if we don't exercise spiritual self-discipline through the Spirit of God. So Paul gives us a few illustrations to bring this point home. And these illustrations all seem to agree. These illustrations are based on what was happening in that time. So in Corinth, there was something called the Isthmian Games. They were basically Olympic Games. But they actually occurred, some said, every four years. Others, it was, you know, a year before the Olympian Games and a year after. Either way, they occurred, and they were like their own Olympian Games. And they were everything from chariot races to wrestling, music, poetical contests, jumping, boxing, javelin, discus hurling. And Paul, when he is referencing this, he said, you know, about the time that he launched this church, this was going on. And you notice he utilizes these things. He talks about a race, running a race. Part of the discipline and being a fruitful witness, we're running the race. You're running the race. You're constantly pursuing the word of God. You're being built up so you can focus on God and you can be a fruitful witness. In 24, he says, but only one receives the prize. You know, in a race, this is true. When people race, only one person wins. But is he saying, as Christians, <laughs> when we're fruitful witnessing, then only one of us wins? <laughs> no. Because in truth, we all win, 
in Christ because as we just talked about, we are used to bless others, and in that it blesses us and grows us as well too. But he says, so run that you may obtain it. That means we must get in the game. You have to get in the game. The game of being a fruitful witness to deliver the gospel to those God put in front of you. If you're not in the game, then there's nothing for you. You're not doing anything for God. So, when we talk about the mutual blessings as a prize, runners in the Olympics, I was just looking this up and just going, you know, what do they go through? What do they deal with on a day-to-day basis? They are at it every single day for hours in a day. Physically, hitting the weight rooms, proper diet, proper rest, all of that is preparing them. They're in countless races all the way leading up to the Olympics. They're focused. They have self-control. If you ever seen an Olympian and say, well, you know, hey, how did you win the gold medal? Well, this is how I do it. So on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, I go to Krispy Kreme, and I have a dozen donuts. Then I have a little Coca-Cola to wash that down. I go for a few walks. Then on Saturday, I run for about 15 minutes. And that's how I'm on top. I've never heard that from any Olympian at all. You hear about the countless hours and the sacrifice from family and from friends to be on it and be disciplined. And let me tell you, if we don't discipline and exercise self-control, then verse 26 happens which is we start to run aimlessly and we're boxing at the air. That means we're just all over the place. There's no focus on God. It's really about us. So we're just all over the place. I never heard a runner talk about, eh, what I do, sometimes I get up and I walk. Every few days I run also for about five, ten minutes. Then I go back to walking. They have a discipline on what they do throughout the day every single day. Not only those that are Olympians, but those that are professional athletes. There is a discipline about how they go about staying on top of their game. When we are running aimlessly and when we are just boxing at the air, we're not focused on God. So what that means is it's about us at that point, and then we'll just justify what we want, and sign off on anything. Let's take a look at it. If our ministry is boxing in the air and running aimlessly, what does that look like? It means we start signing off on sin. That's what happens. We start signing off on sin and start justifying it because we're not focused on the Word of God. Whatever you're witnessing and preaching, we must live out ourselves. And I see this often. I've seen it in myself. Someone that you really care for, a brother or sister, you probably should say something, but you put this, you say it like this. I don't want to be disrupted to this, sister. I want to love on them because Jesus is love. And I hear that and I've heard that in myself. I'm like, no, actually, Jesus landed on the cross because he loved us enough to be truthful to us. He told Pilate, I came to testify to the truth. And Pilate said, what is truth? His truth landed him on the cross. And I think so often as Christians, we get so caught up in our fleshly love that we try to put it on Christ and say, oh, I don't want to be a disruption. I don't want to cause any disunity. Folks, there are healthy, there's healthy disruption in a church. What do you think Paul is doing to the church of Corinth? He's disrupting it with the word of God. And so there'll be some that'll leave, and I guarantee you they'll say, Man, he was rough. I don't even like that guy. And they just blame him, and they go from church to church saying, I can't stand leaders that won't listen to what we do, what we tell them. And there'll be some that'll say, you know what, he was spot on, but that was hard to hear. That was really hard to hear. There is healthy division in the church when it's centered on the Word of God. Well, 
Well, let's look at it. What about a brother or sister who drinks too much? We'll go back to drinking. And flat out drink most of the time. So because we're boxing in the air and running aimlessly, this is what we'll do. We'll just drink with them. Hey, you know what I do? I drink with them. Because then they know I'm just like them. Get drunk just like they get drunk. Does that work? What about engaging in sexual immorality? A long time ago, I remember, I had just become a new believer. And we went to Cleveland, me and a couple other brothers. And I should not have hung out with these brothers. I knew it. God had been telling me just through my conscience, you now belong to me, but you still want to hang out with your boys because you just want to hang out with them. So we went to Cleveland. We went out to the clubs and so on. And lo and behold, they wanted to go to one of those places where people dance on stage. And I was with them, and I said, you know, oh, I'll do it for you guys. And I went in there, and the spirit was just pounding away at me, like, dude, this is not in any way, shape, or form. You are well out of lines on this. And I'm just like down like this. But I noticed all these shiny, it's just shiny stuff like all over the place. And I kept wondering what's so shiny. Finally, we got out of there. God, I was like, I got to go. I just can't do this. So I get up and get out and I'm walking away. And what I realized is that all the shiny stuff that I saw was the lights reflecting, reflecting off of all the rings of the married men that were sitting in front of me. So what I did in that example, I didn't put God first. I put myself first. I didn't witness to them. I didn't tell them anything about God. I just went along with it. That was flat-out sin. It was awful. Fast forward it over a decade later, where I work, we went to Vegas. We go to Vegas for a conference. I tell you, it's amazing how the hearts of men and women, what they want to do, it just reveal them. Say all the nice things in the world, and then when you think you're in the darkness and no one's going to see it, it all just comes out. So we're done with the conference, and the first thing they all say is, let's go to a place where people dance up on the stage. I said, say what? I said, Keep in mind, I'm ten, it's 10 years later, so I'm 10 years a little bit longer than God. I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. It wasn't even a matter of a thought process. And I remember the owner of the company saying, oh, Charles is a, a, a good church-going guy. I'm like, no, I'm just not going. It's not happening. Now, I didn't witness more and say, this is why I'm not going, but I just wouldn't go. When I focus on myself, I will aimlessly do whatever and just try to please other people. When I focus on God, I will do what God wants me to do even no matter what it looks like to everyone else. What about salvation dating? I always love this. So people will date people and just say, oh, they're going to come to Christ. They're going to. I just know it. So one time, and this happened a long time ago, there was a sister in Christ, and she was dating a guy. And he would just flat out admit, he's just like, I don't know about all this stuff, and I don't believe. And they had dated for years. And I just kept looking over and going, how do you guys keep dating? And this guy's actually telling you he doesn't like Christ. That he wants no part of it. And she was waiting and waiting and waiting. And you know what, what I've heard in, in scenarios like that? It's always, man, he's just so nice to me. She's just so nice to me. Nicer than any Christian I see in the church. Listen, people, you're going to find people out there that in their flesh, they're just so nice. They make, <laughs> they make Christians look awful at times. But the difference is what they do is temporary, and what we're doing is eternal. And so eventually, she got tired of waiting, and she left. But what I was thinking is, sister, I feel for you because it's revealing in your heart that you are focusing on what you want, and it has nothing to do with Jesus. 
Because there's nowhere in Scripture, this goes back to the word, there's nowhere in Scripture where he tells you to go and pursue someone that's unequally yoked, someone who does not believe in Jesus. And that's what it comes down to, right? As one commentator says, what this does not mean is that we are to compromise with the world in order to fit in. Some have used Paul's statement, I've become all things to all people as an excuse to live worldly lives, assuming that unrepentant sinners will be impressed and want to come to Christ. But Paul never compromised God's moral standards and set forth in Scripture. Rather, he was willing to forego traditions and familiar comforts in order to reach any audience, Jewish or non-Jewish. There is a difference there. Not sinning, but can forego and blend in on traditions and familiar comforts that are not sin to God. Or as Peter says in 2 Peter 1.10, we must confirm our calling and election in Christ. Or as he says in 2 Peter 1.5-8, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. And for if these qualities are yours, and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, if we're focused on God, his will, not our will, and we're studying his word and using all means of grace at our disposal, the preaching of the word, the teaching of the word, Bible studies, worship music, everything that God gives us at, this, at our disposal to be able to focus on his word, then we're going to have and be a fruitful witness. But if we don't focus on that, and we take our eyes off just for a moment, remember what happened to Peter when he took his eyes off of Jesus? Start sinking. And that's what happens to all of us, right? We take our focus off Jesus, and we start sinking back into the things that he has freed us from. The fruitful witness becomes all things to all people and they discipline their bodies as to not be disqualified. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you. I thank you for Brother Paul. He is just on fire delivering truth by way of the Spirit, and we just thank you that all the way on to death, he just stuck with you and increased in you and just delivered such fruits by your grace. Father, may we too follow the disciple before us. May we follow this brother in Christ and be all in. Be a fruitful witness by being all things to all people. And be a fruitful witness by disciplining ourselves in your very word. So then we ourselves won't be disqualified. With every heart here, just be on fire more for the things of you. And may we consider by your grace, may I consider by your grace how we can be all things to all people to be the disciple you called us to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hello. Oh, there you are. Please rise as we uh, finish with some more worship.
the holy trust in Jesus' name. My hope is built. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, the holy trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. darkness seems to hide his face. I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. My anchor holds within Christ the Lord, cornerstone, weak may strong in the Savior's love through the Christ alone, cornerstone, weak may strong in the Savior's love through the storm. He is Lord, Lord of all. He
worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. And holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me and holy there is no one like you there is none beside you open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. And I will build my life Upon your love, it is a firm foundation, and I will put my trust in you alone, and I will not be shaken, I will build my life upon your love it is a firm foundation and i will put my trust in you alone and i will not be shaken and holy there is no one like you there is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. And I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation, and I will put my trust in you alone, and I will not be shaken, and I will build my life upon your love. It is a and I will put my trust in you alone, and I will not be shaken. Holy, there is no one like you, there is none beside you. Open up my eyes in 
wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those Seated. All right, let's, by his grace, let's go and live this out. So a few quick things, uh, announcements. As we always say, if you are not receiving uh, the weekly announcements, just please email us at email at res, R-E-S-D-E-T-R-O-I-T, Detroit, resdetroit.org. And just say, hey, I want to be on the email list. Um, or if you're here right now physically and want to know, just give me your information. I'll make sure you're on the list um, and uh, you'll receive the weekly newsletters. Another way is just go on resdetroit.org and in the upper right-hand corner is a menu uh, where you see Restore Announcements. And from there, you'll be able to uh, know what's going on in the life of Restore. So we're going to go into our offering time. Uh, we're going to use this as a time of prayer to thank him for what he has given to us first and we in turn give back. Um, so those who want to give physically, there's a basket back there to give. The other way is what was on the screen, texting 77977 and putting in the subject Res Detroit. And you can control giving that way. There's other means of giving, too. Uh, you can, again, go online to the resdetroit.org website. Uh, so let's bow our heads in prayer. And for those that want to give now or you're on, at home online and want to give to do that, for those that are going to give later or have already given, let's just use this time to pray to God. You know, we pray without ceasing, right? We should always be praying to him, but let's pray again to him and thank him. Father, we just thank you that you are the giver of life. So there's nothing that we can say that we've gotten on our own. You are at the center of everything. Our jobs, our homes, our cars, our bank accounts, our very life into our lungs daily. Father, we want to thank you and praise you for what you've done in our lives based on where we are just right now. That whether we have a little or more, you ask us, listen, I want to give a cheerful giver, someone that gives out of their heart, not under duress or compulsion. So may we, you lay upon our hearts the thankfulness of what you've given to us, that we would desire to give back a portion? And then would you hold us accountable to utilize those funds in the restored ministry to advance your gospel and be a fruitful witness? We love you for the fact that you loved us first. We see increasingly who you are because you opened our hearts. And as we see the depths of our own sin, like our brother Paul, even in Romans 8.23, we can now appreciate more of the depths of what has happened through your son Jesus on the cross. We lift up all things in your son's matchless name. Amen. So I know with COVID and things are increasing and so on, just be in prayer because the Lord is in charge. Amen. And so uh, by his grace, things have been under control and they'll be under control as he wills it. So let us still move out in the world and not allow what's happening now to keep us from being a fruitful witness to advance the gospel. We all still have plenty of opportunities of ministry. You got holidays coming up. You have family, unsaved man, family, saved family to, to talk up in the things of God. Neighbors, we have plenty of opportunities. So I leave you with this. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And all God's people said, amen. Let's go in peace.